0: Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we are going to talk about the CFL. The season is underway. We'll preview the action with John Hodge of 3 Down Nation Plus. The 2022 class of inductees into the Manitoba Hockey Hall of Fame. Been announced. Kelly Moore with an interview with one of them and the dad of another on the podcast. We welcome in John Hodge of 3 Down Nation to preview the CFL season, not just from the Bombers' perspective, but from a league-wide perspective, John, how pumped are you for the start of the CFL season?
1: I'm
2: very pumped, Christian. I, I think that this season is going to be a great season in the CFL. There was a lot of rest that needed to be shaken off in 2021. Uh, let's not forget, not only was the 2020 season canceled but the 2022 season also got underway in August, which even further extended the delay and there were no preseason games. So to, to have nine teams across the league who, whose players are not coming off, you know, this long, long, long gap, who have had a chance to, to get seasoned a little bit in a couple of preseason games, I'm very optimistic that this season is going to be bigger. It's going to be better. It's going to be faster. It's going to be more exciting. Than what we saw a year ago, and I think that's a big win for
0: CFL fans. Yeah, the football last year w- was not spectacular. There were a lot of not great games, which is from there was a lot of bad offense. There were a lot of injuries, and so I, I'm hoping, like you, that we just have better quality. It might take a couple weeks, but I, I think the the higher end is going to be a lot deeper this year than it was last year.
2: Well, something that you often hear coaches say is is the biggest leap in development. For players happens from year one to year two and I think that is true not only for the Canadians who come out of Canadian universities and youth sports but also for American players who have never played three down football before and let let's not forget a lot of the Canadians in the CFL as well these days do play four down football in university and, and even in some cases in their their latest years of, of high school so I think last year was, was, you know, it was a number of factors. And you're right, the offense was down. There, there were some great games, of course, but there were some games that did lack the high flying, you know, style of football that we're accustomed to seeing in this country. Um, you know, we had a ton of veteran players retire over the, the extended gap from the end of the 2019 season to the delayed start of the 2021 season. Now we had two sets of rookies right if you signed in 2020 or 2021 or you were drafted in 2020 or 2021 you had two groups of first year players coming in to replace those retirees well now all of those players that double class so to speak of incoming rookies are all going into year 2 and so i think we are going to see a large push across the league not just you know in any one particular city on one side of the ball league wide i think we're going to see better a higher level of play than we did a year ago for that reason.
0: Conversely, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers won the Grey Cup in less than seven months ago. It's going to be the shortest offseason they've ever had. Do you think that might have a negative impact, or do you think that's going to be a non-factor? Because more or less every team is going to have a shorter off season than usual.
2: I, I don't think that, that it'll play much of a role. I mean, the Bombers got to... Uh, they got to defend their title for free in 2019 for, for an extra year. So maybe this evens it out. They, they had an extremely long uh, tenure with the Cup after the 19 season. They have had a shorter tenure this year. I mean, this, this is a veteran-laden club. They are going to be starting a couple of rookies tomorrow due to injuries across the roster. But, you know, I, I don't think that the shorter layoff will, will affect this team in, in a negative way. If anything, I think, you know, Minimizing the off from you know its normal six seven months to a a five you know five and a half months period is just going to help players stay fresh. It's long enough to to get over those bumps and bruises that come over the course of the season, but it's 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 not so long that it's maybe a little tougher to get back into that that you know grind of of camp and the start of the season. So I don't see that being a factor for them.
0: Do you view the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as the team to beat in twenty twenty two?
2: Yes, I, I do. I, I think that's absolutely fair to say. Um, they're the back-to-back champions. They've got the MOP at quarterback. Who, I mean, Zach Calares also a great Cup MVP. It's 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 really the best season that a player can have. Um, yes, they've lost some some names, and and I do think that this team has maybe a little more to prove this year than it did last year. Just just because of that, right? Andrew Harris is in Toronto. Kenny Lawler is in Edmonton, Drew Desjardins goes to the NFL, DeAndre Alford goes to the NFL, you know, and, and, and I still think they're the team to beat, but, but absolutely they need young players to step up. Last season, the question mark was in the secondary, right? We had Winston Rose go to the NFL. We saw, you know, a couple of changes there. All of a sudden, in 2021, Dietrich Nichols comes in and is a CFL All-Star, DeAndre Nichols is a CSL all-star and we see, okay, actually, you know, everybody thought the secondary might be a concern. And then we went, okay, no, this, is, this unit's going to be just fine. To me, this season, that's the receiving core. You know, Darwin Adams is going to make his return to IG field tomorrow as a member of the Ottawa Redblacks, I think the Bombers were looking to uh, Jalen Saunders, the former Cat, to fill one of those spots. He was released after being the subject of some legal allegations. They've got Greg Ellinson in the lineup, but they're also starting a rookie in Dalton Schoen in the receiving core. So, provided that that history repeats itself, I think we'll look at the receiving core and say, okay, there's nothing to worry about with this unit. These young players the Bombers have found are, are up to snuff. But just like last year, we'll have to wait and see. But are they the team to beat in CFL? Absolutely. I think that's fair to say. They still deserve to be considered the number one team.
0: It's screaming in the courtyard here. So looking around the the rest of the West, then who would you say would be the closest to Winnipeg's heels here? Would it be Calgary playing tonight?
2: I've got Saskatchewan at at number two. And, And the reason for that is, you know, Cody Fajardo after representing the West division as the MOP nominee in 2019, took a little bit of a step back last season, struggled to connect on some deeper passes but they went out and they got Duke Williams at the end of last year. He's now had a whole offseason to get his body back to more of a CFL body. He's carrying a little bit of extra weight from his time in the NFL. I think his presence there is enough to make Saskatchewan's offense all that much better. They also had a very young offensive line last year. That group has had a year to develop. Taryn Vaughn, the, the left tackle, who I think is quite good, missed last season after undergoing surgery. He's now back. So... I see Saskatchewan pushing Winnipeg, Uh, but Calgary, as you mentioned, Calgary, I think, could be good. It all comes down to the health of Bo Mitchell. Bo Mitchell played poorly in the West Semi-Final in 2019. He played poorly all of last season. Granted, he was overcoming a shoulder injury. He had a fracture in his leg. So, you know, the injuries are part of it. He says he's healthy now, but he also played poorly in the preseason, and I think it's fair to question at what point do we have to stop giving Bo Levi Mitchell the benefit of the doubt simply because he's is Bo Levi Mitchell. Bo Levi Mitchell is going to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm not taking anything away from him that he did from 2012 to 2018, but it's been a couple of years now since we saw him be the number one player in the CFL, and so to me, I need to see more from Bo Levi Mitchell before I put Calgary into that top tier of teams in the West Division. That said, do they have the tools to to put together a strong season and make a push for the West Division? Yes. I think the defense is going to be very good. They're very well coached. I think that offensively, Reggie Bagleton is one of the most dangerous weapons in the CFL, and Kadeem Carey ran the ball really well for the matter of the backfield in 2021. So I see Saskatchewan as the number one threat to Winnipeg, but Calgary also a threat as well.
0: So why Saskatchewan, then? Is it defense?
2: I think Saskatchewan is the best linebacking core in the CFL. Uh, They brought in Darnell Sankey, who was the middle linebacker in Calgary last year. A very good player. Derek Moncrease is back there. I think he's the best starting strong side linebacker in the CFL. A.C. Leonard coming off the edge, I think, is an underrated player. And And I think the secondary is is solid. I don't I think the secondary's taken a little bit of a step back since last season, but the secondary is good. And Jason Schreiber's coaches that unit very well as well. So to me in Saskatchewan, I, I think the offense could be a little bit more explosive. I mean, Cody Fajardo was better than Boulivar Mitchell was a year ago. And defensively between the two, I, I, th- I think you picked your poison. I think Calgary is better in the secondary. Saskatchewan is better in the linebacking corner and all the line of scrimmage, I would say they're probably about even on the defensive side of the ball.
0: Is BC a threat or is the question mark of quarterback just too big to say what they could possibly be?
2: I think that BC could make the playoffs. I don't think it's fair to say that they're going to push for first place in the West division. And, and we'll talk about the quarterbacks in a moment because that's a huge story. But, to me, it, at the end of the day, it comes down to the offensive and defensive lines. The offensive line was the worst in the CFL last season. They didn't really do anything to address it, which I think was a mistake. On the defensive side of the ball, they added Steven Richardson, the former Blue Bomber, as defensive tackle, but he suffered an offseason injury that, from what I understand, is going to keep him out for most, if not all, of the season. And so I don't think they're good enough along the line of scrimmage. That said, Nathan Rourke, the starting quarterback, born in Victoria, B.C., raised primarily in Southern Ontario, is going to be the starter. I'm a lot higher on Nathan Rourke than some. I do think that Nathan Rourke is ready to be a starter in this league. However, I think B.C. needs to make sure that they utilize his skill set properly. If you ask Nathan Rourke to stand in the pocket, like someone like a Bull, Levi Mitchell or a McLeod beckle thompson I don't think that's going to serve him well at all. He He's almost a, a Chris Strebler type, and you need to game plan especially for him. He's exceptionally athletic, very fast, knows how to use his legs. I believe he ran for over 2,000 yards as a quarterback at the University of Ohio when he was with the Bobcats. So he is an absolute athlete back there, definitely a, a weapon to be used And I think if the team is able to get him out on bootlegs, use use RPO, use play action, you know, get creative in the backfield and and make life a little bit easier for a young quarterback and let him utilize his legs, I do think BC has what it takes to, to, to make the postseason as that third seed in the West. All they would need then is Saskatchewan or Calgary to come back a little bit and take advantage of some opportunities as they arise.
0: Over in the East, Montreal playing tonight, of course, opening it in Calgary. They went 7-7 seven and seven last year and lost in the East semifinal. I think uh, Hamilton's probably a bit worse this year. Ottawa looks better. Toronto, I don't know. Montreal depends on Vernon Adams, of course. Where do you think the East is going to go? Or is there just so much volatility that they might just all beat each other up all season?
2: I think the East is going to be very tight. Uh, personally, I, I've got Toronto at the top and Montreal at the bottom. But... I also have them finishing, you know, within literally two or three wins of each other. I I think there's going to be a lot of parity out East. And you mentioned it they play each other a lot. And so those interdivisional games or intradivisional games, I should say, are going to be very key. I I think, you know, Montreal, the advantage is they've got the two best quarterbacks, they've got Vernon, or I should say the best quarterback duo in Vernon Adams Jr. and Trevor Harris I think they've, they've upgraded their defensive line, a little bit bringing over Mike Moore from the Edmonton Elks. Uh, but there are some concerns with that club. I, I think that, you know, if Gahari Jones doesn't get off to a hot start, Danny Machocha, the GM, might be tempted to make a coaching change. Um, in Toronto, I think that team has a lot of depth, but McLeod Bethel-Thompson has lacked consistency. I think you're absolutely right, Christian. The Ticats lost. Some key pieces, some of their other key pieces are a year older. They're a bit more of a veteran-laden club. And then Ottawa, I I think they've done a great job. Tomorrow they're going to be starting 10 players on offense who are not on their team a year ago. And anybody who watched the Red Blacks play in 2021 knows why. That offense was really, really bad a year ago. I think they're going to be much, much, much improved with Jeremiah Mazzoli at the helm. But of course, it's also fair to question how quickly can that team gel? Because when you, you know, from one year to the next, swap out, I mean, their their roster is at least half new, which is a really, really high percentage for professional football. You know, obviously, they're going to need an opportunity to gel. So I think the East is absolutely up for grabs. I think it's going to be very close. And I think... All four teams, to be very honest, have a legitimate shot to host a playoff game and even finish first in the division.
0: It's going to be a lot of fun, John. Appreciate your time tonight. We'll have you on lots during the season. We'll see you at the game tomorrow night.
2: Appreciate that, Christian. Well,
3: the 2022 Manitoba Hockey Hall of Fame class is about as star-studded a one as I could certainly remember. Uh, Six players are going in, including a gentleman who's representing an inductee, uh, and a gentleman who is going into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Brad Chartrand, former Canadian national team member, former Los Angeles King, and Cal Botterell representing son Jason. Uh, Last year, of course, uh, Dorothy represented... Last time, Dorothy represented Jennifer. So, now did you have to flip a coin for
1: Jason here, Cal, or <laughs> listen, I needed it because as I said, I'm the least famous guy in the family. So, uh, uh, no, it's an honor. And when, you know, we Jason called last night, he was excited about this thing and he knows the history of this hall and how many great people and great players and teams are in there. So we could tell he was excited about it and, and very honored. So yeah, it was fun to say, uh, to get up and say, uh, you know, where did, where did it all start? It started here in Manitoba and he got a grounding here and, uh, and the time he spent with the uh, Olympic program, where where Brad was playing, was was priceless in terms of how much he learned. You know, he just was soaking it all up as a, a young player. And so, yeah, he'll be uh, thrilled uh, uh, come October for sure.
3: Oh, absolutely, yes. As Cal mentioned, the dinner is going to be October the eighth, uh, and uh, certainly long overdue. We had one canceled because of COVID. Brad, who Cal Botterill just mentioned, is Brad Chartrand. Uh, You know, and and it's funny, Brad, how the six degrees of separation work uh, in this province, in this city, and especially in the sport of hockey. Uh, You and Cal work together on the national team. Uh, Jason, I believe, was the stick boy Cal was saying. So, I mean, how good is that?
4: Well, I'll give you another one. So I started hockey when I was seven, they, they mentioned, which is kind of a form of child abuse, I suppose. My, I don't know why my parents didn't put me in earlier. But uh, my first power skating uh, coach was the Dragon Lady of Hockey, Val Johnston. And I just ran into her sister, Shelly, while I was here. Uh, and she's, and, oh yeah, that's my sister. So re- really the commonalities um, of the coaching. And, but that's why Manitoba Hockey is special as well. Uh, just listening to those stories, like you, there's a touch
3: point in some capacity for all of us. So it's, it's pretty special. Yeah, you know, Cal just mentioned how thrilled Jason is to be going into the Manitoba Hockey Hall of Fame. I mean, you look at the inductees, and it is incredibly special to be a part of that group.
4: Honored, so much respect for, you know, the members and, and obviously all the volunteers. But I will say I was I was fortunate enough to have Greg Lacome, a member, uh, Andy Murray, I'll throw in Bill Percy, who was an amazing hockey coach. And now that I'm a youth hockey coach, I'm kind of like every drill is the Team Manitoba drill or the Team Canada drill. and But, no, I, re- I really take those roots of, of what those coaches provided. I mean, a national team. I coach it like the national team. And, um, you know, the, the, I just really want to give back and hopefully the youth kids can, uh, can learn from my roots here too.
3: You know, Cal, when uh, you guys were working together with the national team, I don't think there was ever the thought, ah, you know, June the 9th of 2022, we're going to go into the Manitoba Hockey Hall of Fame together. Of course, you're representing Jason, but, uh, you know, just... We always wonder where the hockey acumen comes from. And, I mean, we're seeing it on a nightly basis with Jennifer on the Hockey Night in Canada coverage as well. Uh, But when you're around the game and you're around great people like the Brad Chartrands and the Andy Murrays and the Greg Lacomis of the world, uh, uh, there's a lot of knowledge to be gained from that, isn't
1: there? Oh, I think for sure. And uh, as a parent and an observer of kids, I think you start to see signs in people, whether they they may have something special or a persistence. And I always remember Coach Donahue, I did some work with basketball. He gave Jason a poster, and it was, Dream Big Dreams, Jason. You know, like straight up. He put it on his wall the whole time. So, you know, here we were in, uh, you know, in, in Calgary, and he's the stick boy. And we're trying to get the guys playing the game on the bench, you know, so they're ready to go. And I'm trying to teach them that. Not, not. So I took one on the other side and taped them. And the guy, I showed the guys the tape. They're dying Jason's the only guy really doing it. He's taking up the ice on defense, getting back in there. So a year later, he came back to Jim Platt's team here, one of the of champions. He took up the ice, intercepted a pass, went in and scored. He was playing defense at the time. So the beginnings are early because he said to me one time when he was eight years old, take him to a game, and I said, I think I'm going to play great tonight, Dad. I said, oh, really? I said, how do you know? He said, I can feel it in my bones. So here I am trying to teach mental and emotional rehearsal, and he's already been there. And he's here with us now, I can tell you that. <laughs> He'll be here with us right now saying, you know, if Brad's there, I'll remember that. And, and he had that kind of connection with people. So it's fun to watch uh, people go up, and here's some of my students here, Dick like Jill Mathe. I mean, when they blow by, it's just like your kids blowing by. You just say, well, we must be doing something right if they're, they're getting that much out of it.
3: Talk about doing something right. And uh, I I remember interviewing Jason back when he was with the Kalamazoo uh, K-Wings. They were the farm team of the uh, Dallas Stars uh, in the IHL. And, you know, I mean, you know, first-round draft pick. Here's a guy that's won three World Junior Gold. He was part of an NCAA champion, uh, World Championships, you know, uh, Stanley Cups uh, with the Pittsburgh Penguins before uh, after I spoke with him. But, you know, he he was just so cerebral even then. I mean, it would have been very easy for a guy to be disappointed. I'm a first-round pick. I should be up with the Dallas Stars. But uh, so... It, it, how did he come by that to be part of all of those championship well, teams? Is it
1: just good fortune or was well, there something more than It here with coaches like Platt and then exposure to the national team. I mean, kids learn so much by observation. They all thought I must have had some kind of a program. I said, no, no, he just picked it all up from things. And I think he came across people and he chose people. He chose Red Baronson at Michigan. He was under he was under age, 17, he got, came out of high school a year early, and he wanted to go and play in Michigan. And, I mean, Red looked him in the eye, this is the guy, hard guy to stare down, and he said, let's go, Jason. So when Jason got the first draft, round draft pick, he came back, and he said, congratulations, Jason, I'm proud of you, he said, but I want to tell you, it's just the start of a horse race. It's just the start of a horse race. It's where you are three years from now that matters. And it was just like, boom. That's what he needed to know and to hear, you know. So, yeah, I think the good kids learn from everybody around them, and uh, when you have good programs, good coaches, uh, and good co-players, you eventually figure a lot of things out. And so he befriended me with um, uh, Jeremy Roenick when I was working with Chicago, and they were like, Here's like a ten-year-old kid and a you know and a, and a top pro and and he he was the one that taught kind of to play in in New England, but I think you learn from people like that uh, that why not why not me you know and I think his daughter later picked that up and said yeah why not me,
3: <laughs> you know, and a great lesson to be learned Brad you were not a first-round draft pick but you never ever know who's watching and who's going to remember and so from your days in the national uh, with the national team rather and then when Andy Murray took over as the head coach of the Los Angeles Kings you know your great work your great attitude uh, and your talent uh, was, you were able to get to the National Hockey League and 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 not just for a cup of coffee either you spent a considerable amount of time with the Kings
4: yeah you know he's like taken the last couple days to reflect on all this stuff but i was always an underdog but i tell the kids too that there's a role for every player if you have work ethic and i think work ethic is probably a skill but some people just don't have it i i, I don't know why like hey work harder play defensive hockey some people refuse to do it i'll take a role as a whatever whatever wing um student of the game probably wasn't maybe as skilled as some of the players but i I outworked a lot of players, and there's a role for, for people on, on the team, and I probably take that into my business career, and hopefully you know, my, my kids learn from that as well. But again, really fortunate to have the, the Greg LeComis and Andy Murrays, who always could get the best out of their players too. So w- w- without that, who knows where well, I'm here today,
3: so I'm very thankful to have those relationships. I'm not sure if it was the highlight of your career, but you scored a goal in the 2002 Stanley Cup playoffs. That had to be uh, certainly, uh, you know, part of uh, realizing a dream. Uh, uh, who? Which team was that against? Which goaltender was that against? If you can remember. And if that's not the highlight of your career, uh, then what was? Well, I, I can remember. <laughs> yeah, no,
4: it was it was it was game six, uh, game winning goal against Patrick Law. Wow. Um That put us in the game seven, and you know, obviously. He's a guy I grew up idolizing. And I played against Joe Sackick that series. That was our role. Our third line role was to, was to go against Sackick and Forsberg. So, highlighted my career for sure. Um, I show the kids every now and then. I don't think they believe that I actually played. Like, I mean, my daughter actually was like, I didn't know you played in the NHL. Like, we, we're really trying to just, you know, just invoke that humility I guess in our family but no it's nice it's nice to reflect on some of those key moments in your career uh, per later cup win I'd put that right up there too though you know sure. I mean then I, I think Jason won, had won one as well so some special Manitoba moments uh, for sure that that are probably even better than the pro moments
3: congratulations uh, please pass that along to Jason Forrest Cal uh, and and to you as well Brad and thanks for the time today
1: fellows oh, good no it's great and the final comment on the role player thing I think Role players are the unsung heroes in life and in sport. And Eddie Olchuk was, he didn't hardly play it in New York the year we won the Cup, but he kept, the, he, Mark would say, Lead the stretch, Eddie. You're the only guy that gets us going, you know. Then they go out and he said, Get the Europeans working, make sure they're ready to go. I mean, we won the Cup and they knew it, and so they chose him MVP of a Stanley Cup team as a role player. So it's huge. I've, I worked with several teams where I thought, you know, the, the key role player, the guy that did those things, was the most valuable player because he kept people around them playing good, and I've heard Jennifer say that, that you know, my, my real job is to make the people around me better, <laughs> and if I do that, then everything else is a bonus, you know, so, yeah, I think uh, the, the role that Brad adopted to is so critical in life and sport, and, uh, and I, I love it when some attention is drawn to it, because I think uh, it's a lot more important than some people think.
0: Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell. Until we meet again. And
1: thanks for all the fish. So sad that we should come to this Try to warn you all.